welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where each and every day I bring on new business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives and have them share their top tips for success with you. My name is Adam Torres. You can follow me on Instagram at Ask Adam Torres to keep up with my book releases, book tour schedule, signings, all that other good stuff. Always love to connect with you there. And as always, if you'd like to apply to become a co-author of one of my upcoming books, just head on over to the website, moneymatterstoptips.com, and click on Become an Author to Apply. All right, so today is a very special episode. Um, I have Margarita Rita Chang on the line, and uh, we're going to be going over uh, Rita's chapter in her in the book that we just released together, um, Money Matters Top Tips for Success. Uh, this would be Volume 2, the Business Leaders Edition, and Rita's chapter was entitled, How Do You Define Confidence? Uh, first off, Rita, uh, congratulations on being selected for the book. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to speak about this topic of confidence. So I, um, one of the things that really struck me um, from your background and from, and from your angle when we were thinking about different um, things that you would potentially write about, and one of the reasons you were selected was this whole idea of confidence and how you intertwined it with your career in, uh, in financial services. It's just uh, it's amazing, and that's what we're going to get into in the, in, in the um, interview. But before we, before we get into your chapter on, on confidence, and I know this is all, all intertwined, I wanted to also congratulate you. I understand you did three marathons in the last three weeks. Um, tell me a little bit more about this and, uh, and about your inspiration for doing that. So sure, we just finished Margarita's Marathon Mania. Or some people say uh, Margarita's Marathon Madness. I think we can use either. Um, but what really inspired me is my daughter. Um, it does sound a little bit cliche, but, like, I will elaborate. So I volunteered as a coach for Girls on the Run. And Girls on the Run helps girls uh, as young as 8 years old and as old as maybe 14. So grades 3 through eight, we use running as a metaphor to help girls become more confident and live healthy, active lives. And I served as a volunteer coach, and I would, like, run road races with my daughter. I had never run more than five, three miles, no more than a 5K, but I realized the impact that this program had on my daughter. So one day I did have to go away, and I couldn't be there for the practice 5K, and she wanted to do the practice 5K before school. And her dad said to her, you know, that's a lot of distance. Are you sure you want to do this? And she said, you know what, I'm not going to know if I can do it until I try. She was nine years old at the time, and I thought that was pretty profound. So as she got older, we did more road races. And by the way, Carolina, that's my daughter, she also swims. What I found is she just really enjoyed that time together, and then she made the cross-country team. I saw, I live in Maryland, which is not from the, from the D.C. line, and I saw that there um, are neighborhoods that are very under-resourced that don't have these programs. So I said to myself, I know it's hard for me to go there and coach. That's logistically challenging, but what can I do to make sure every little girl has this opportunity? So I put my name out there for a charity bid for the Marine Corps Marathon, and I decided I was going to run it. And I decided I was going to, like, try to impact 10 girls' lives positively. 
um, because it costs about $180 for one girl to go through the program. So I did that in October 2018. And I decided it was such an amazing experience that the next fall 2019 that I was going to do it again. And I applied to help the girls in New York City, Chicago, and, of course, my hometown here in D.C. Chicago and New York both accepted my bids. They're like, we would love for you to join our charity team. So, of course, I couldn't say no. And then in in the Marines, like, I believe in supporting the military. So I'm like, you know what, that's it. I'm going to run all three. And I didn't tell (laughs) really anybody that I was going to run all three because I haven't been running that long. But I told myself, what's the worst that could happen? I have to stop and walk. The most important thing is just to set a goal and, you know, be the best you can be, just like the Marines. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to go for it. So I did it. Here I am. Wow, that's uh, that's quite inspiring, and I was like, uh, and one of the things I, I love about what you're doing is you're just so humble about it. So in our pre-show warm-up, you're, you said, yeah, so I only did three in three weeks. I'm like, only three in three weeks? Are you kidding me? That's absolutely amazing. So um, congratulations on that. I know you were able to raise some money to help uh, many girl, of these girls go through the program. So um, all great stuff there, and I think this really ties right into your chapter and the heart that you put behind it. So let's get more into that. Um, so how do you define confidence? What, what, why this title? Why? Uh, tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to write this and share this part of your life with us. So confidence, confidence means different things to different people. But to me, I think confidence means believing in yourself, even when others around you may doubt you. And I think all too often people confuse terms like they use the term confidence and arrogance interchangeably. Like if you were to use that definition and look at me, you'd be like, she doesn't really appear to be ostensibly confident. She suffers from low self-esteem. But I believe in my heart that it's so important when people are asking for help. So I'm a certified financial planner or CSP pro. So if someone's coming to me to ask for help, It takes a lot of confidence and courage to ask for help, let alone admit you need help. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to write about this because I really want to create a safe space, judgment-free zone for people to have their questions because from the bottom of my heart, I believe everybody's experiences, everybody's voice, they need to be heard. And it's really hard to have people, I mean, well, Trust is the is the foundation of every relationship, but how can people have trust in you if they're not confident? So mm-hmm. whether people decide to work with me or not, I want them to have the confidence to be able to start planning for their future. Um, and I also want them to know that they can have a sense of control. It's okay to be a control freak. Like they can control how they spend. They can control how they invest. And they can control how they react to these things. So at the end of the day, I just I want people to feel confident and empowered because ultimately the best decision is the one that they can stick with and the one that they make for themselves. That's awesome. And uh, and so now, obviously, you're, you're many years past, uh, and now you have your own um, financial advisory practice uh, in service CEO over at Blue Ocean Global Wealth. 
Um, but in the book, you share uh, you share a story about how what led you to starting your own company, and also um, oh, and for everybody listening, this is going to be a complete spoiler episode. So I still want you to go buy the book. So go buy the book, Money Matters Business Leaders, uh, Volume Two. But we're going to get into the actual content. So spoilers are happening, and I'm okay with it. So Rita, in the in the book, you mentioned, uh, um, and obviously again, you have your you run your own practice now. But um, you mentioned when you first entered the financial industry, maybe um, there were some sales practices or some things that didn't really align with the way you wanted to work and which led you to starting your own firm. Talk a little bit more about that, please. Sure, absolutely. I know that financial services can be very intimidating. I mean, I myself was intimidated, but I wasn't intimidated by the mass behind it because that's actually how I became confident. I know how to use a financial calculator. I can look at a financial plan, and if someone says, hey, Margarita, explain to me this point on this graph, oh, I can be in the weeds with them. But if someone is stuck in the weeds, I can pull them out of the weeds. So. I don't have analysis paralysis, but I'm the type of person that can be can help the client think big picture, but I can also help them take the action steps. So having said that, I wasn't necessarily I don't come across as being like pushy. And so there was concern among leaders that I wasn't quote unquote cut out for this position because I wasn't aggressive enough. Like I was great at building relationships, active listening, but I wasn't very good at sales. So I was told, you know, you may want to think twice about being a financial advisor. You'd be great support staff. Of course, I was crushed, not because I couldn't take that feedback. Here I was helping people understand options and use their calculator. Like their calculator was literally still sealed in the box. And so it wasn't that it was hard for me to hear those words. I'm like, how could you say like I'm a lousy planner? Like I'm technically sharp. Like I connect with people. That's who I am. But you're telling me that I'm not going to be successful because I'm not like you. And I didn't cry or get in a fight about it. I realized that, you know what, my manager was right, that I was not like him, and I probably would not be successful with the type of clients that he wanted, but I still could be successful being me. So that's my story. The other thing that's very interesting is after, I think, two years in the business, I put some clients in the reassignment pool. And people thought I was crazy, like, we could put down with these clients. I'm like, you know what? They didn't buy me. Mm. I, I don't feel like I can be myself serving these clients. They're best served by you. And I think it takes a lot of courage to admit that. But I put these clients in the reassignment pool, not because there was anything wrong with them. I felt like I'm more collaborative. I'm more interactive. I, I don't, I don't, sure, if a client says, you know what? I don't want to talk about life insurance. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to, like, get in a fight with them, but I'm going to say, well, you know, let's talk about that or what concerns do you have? So my style is very different. If someone doesn't agree with me, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to work with them. I just felt like that first batch of clients, they were sold, and I didn't feel comfortable because I felt like I couldn't be myself, and if I couldn't be myself, I couldn't do the best job for them. 
And just to be clear for everyone listening, uh, it, it wasn't that Rita was unsuccessful using their method, by the way, because um, according to the book I'm reading, um, my first year I had 33 clients and 31 of them were from cold calls. So Rita could make the cold calls. There's nothing to do with fear. There's nothing to do with success in doing, um, in actually doing those activities and playing, let's just say, the other game of how to get clients. But I'll throw this out there. What I loved so much about your story is you were successful as an advisor and decided that even though you'd experienced success and you could have gone on that path and you could have done the numbers, you could have kept making the calls the same way you were doing, you could have used the same process, you could have scaled your practice, you chose the harder route, in my opinion, of deviating from that even though you'd already gotten 33 clients and 31 of those were from cold calls again. Um, to then take the, the road less traveled and, in my opinion, the harder road, again, of creating a practice and creating something um, that you wanted to do long-term and to be able to create those relationships with your clients that are, are many times uncommon. And I think this is a really important thing, not just for, um, not just for um, women, but men also that are, that are thinking, that are younger, that are just coming in the industry to understand that there's different ways to do this. Rita is a shining example of staying true to your values values, staying true to um, what, what, what matters to you and how you want to run your life and still participating as a, as a, as a successful financial advisor in the industry. And I, so I love that point you make. It wasn't that, you know, maybe the clients that were good for him weren't going to be the best for you or for, the, or for somebody else, but that there's plenty of clients that would want to and value someone who uses skills like active listening, like putting the client. I mean, these are, these are common things, right? But I, I understand where, what school you come from. They're like, I hey, spend a little bit too much time on the phone listening to the client. You got to spend more time selling. It's like, ah, that didn't work for you, so you changed it. Um, you give a couple of points here, and I want to go through. Um, we're not going to have time on this one to go through all of them, so everybody listening, don't forget, go out, grab the book, um, Business Leaders Edition Volume 2, um, but I do want to get into at least one of them. So um, one of the points you made um, was to trust your intuition. Um, I want to get into that a little bit because, um, and we don't, and we're not going to get into investment advice or anything like that on this on this particular uh, um, uh, interview because, of course, everybody's situation is going to vary based off of their own personal situation. And you, of course, anything that you plan on doing, um, and anybody listening, if you're making investment decisions, you're going to want to speak to somebody that knows your situation. But I do want to get into this a little bit, Rita. Um, that section you wrote, and trust your intuition. What does that mean for you as an advisor? Because I think it does make you um, somewhat unique in the field. I think trust your intuition. Of course, there's going to be people who will come to you that will share their investment strategies and their performance. Um, when I say trust your intuition, if something doesn't seem right or feel right, ask the question, do you due diligence? I'm going to give you an example. So this is pre-financial crisis. There were some bond funds that were using leverage. And the returns were very positive. But I said to myself, well, this seems strange. Those returns seem a little bit inconsistent for a bond fund. You know, I'm not really comfortable like investing my clients' money there. I may be too simplistic, but remember, I can also be a quant nerd, right? I was like, I'm just not gonna invest the client's money there. And I didn't. Now if I did and the client lost money, well, I mean, clients do lose money. But I explained to the client that you need to, like, look beneath the surface, that 
yes, if that fund did return X, it's important to know the Y. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Rita. So here we are, and I'm not saying I predicted, but it didn't feel right. Two years later, my colleagues were like, hey, what about such and such a fund? I was like, oh, I didn't sell any of that stuff. They're like, you're joking. I'm like, no, it seems too risky. I told people to stay in cash, and if they wanted excitement, that's what equities were for. But I was not going to put cash in this type of bond fund to make more money because it made me nervous. So that's what I mean by your intuition. Ask questions. Uh, people tell me that, like, I can ask questions in a way with a smile, so, like, I'm not being combative. I'm like, I really don't understand, like, why I would want to invest a client's money here. Help me understand how this makes sense. No, I love it, and and what I think is so, and what I and just to be clear, um, Rita's not claiming to time the market, anything of that nature. What I what I found unique here um, was that you just did that extra little step that it takes to really, and and it just lets me know. Um, I mean, my background, almost 14 years in wealth management prior to being in media full-time, now going on three years, but it just lets me know that as an advisor um, that you ask that additional question, that you want to look under the hood, that you are really bought into your um, into your clients and to your clients' futures also, and you do, and you do treat them the way you want to be treated, if not better. Um, and that, that things like that just let me know what your personality as an advisor is, and that's why um, I was really excited excited to read your content and to um, and to publish it so definitely an honor to publish it and to get your message out there because I think you're going to help a lot of people with this um, Rita I really appreciate you taking time out today to uh, do this interview about your chapter and um, to the audience as always thank you for tuning in I hope you got a lot of value out of this if you did don't forget to subscribe to the podcast leave me a review uh, don't forget to go pick up the book business leaders edition volume two of money matters and Rita, thank you again for coming on the show and so happy that you're part of the book.